All right, joining me on the line this week is Trace Meyer. Trace is an entrepreneur, an investor, a journalist, and a monetary scientist. He is the author of the book, The Great Credit Contraction. Trace, it's an absolute honor to have you on the program this week. Oh, thank you very much, and I'm glad to be here. I want to first spend a few minutes talking with you about your website, howtovanish.com, and the book that you've written there. First of all, I'm intrigued by your website, howtovanish.com. Trace, as you will know, we live in a schizophrenic culture, one that on one hand believes that the right to privacy is needed, yet nevertheless gives up their privacy rights simply when asked to. There's a, currently a war that's being waged against Americans' privacy, their liberty, and this nation were tracked, were fingerprinted like criminals without probable cause, were traced, uh, were databased. But my question here is, has personal privacy become obsolete today because of technology? You know, that's an excellent question. Uh, and it phrases the issue uh, in a way that it really brings to light a lot of the changes that have happened because of technology. Now, How to Vanish is a very provocative site, and uh, I actually co-authored it with a buddy of mine from law school. He practices criminal defense and uh, and and litigates in the court in the courtroom. And when we're talking about privacy, it can never. I don't think it, it's ever obsolete. The reason for this is because in order for us to act as autonomous individuals, in order for us to exercise our free will, our our ability to choose, we have to have privacy. We have to have the ability to keep some things private and secret and uh, not revealed. And so when we're looking at the advances that we've had in technology, exactly how far are these advances going to go? Are they eventually going to be able to read our thoughts? Are our thoughts going to be uh, broadcast against our will over things like Twitter, for example? Uh, and I, I would say that no, we won't ever have uh, that degree of invasiveness that's, uh, that's brought forward because of the technology. And the reason for this is I think it gets into the economics. It's not really economical to... Uh, to infringe on people's privacy in these types of, of ways. And then the more uh, we try to infringe against the will of people on their privacy, the more I, th- I think that there's going to become a lower and lower return on investment from that. And that's because of some of the countermeasures that people are able to take in order to protect their privacy. You know, Trace, I'm reminded of Google CEO Eric Schmidt, who said back in 2009, and I quote, He says, if you have something that you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. And Facebook executives are feeling the same way. They voice similar opinions. How do we combat the forces that seek to take away our right to privacy when they're coming from the very top of the power structure? It seems as if if it's coming from the very top, the federal government, these very large corporations, they're intent on taking away our privacy. You say that there's a way to battle that. What exactly, uh, what hope do we have when it comes from the very top? You know, that's that's another great point that you make. But that's also uh, what these technological forces have really done. If you look at the Gutenberg Press, for example, it completely upset the entire power structure that existed then. And so likewise, the Internet, which is just in its infancy, is going to completely upset the entire power structure that currently exists. 
The reason for this, in my opinion, is because the Internet, by its decentralized nature, it shifts the return on investment from violence. And when I say violence, I use that in either actual physical violence or in intimidation. It's getting people to do things which are against their will, and they're only doing because they're coerced. And taxation, for example, is a form of coercion or violence or intimidation. And that's how the governments fund themselves. But what the, what the Internet does and, what, and, and how it shifts this is that the return on investment from violence is no longer profitable like it was during the Industrial Age. For example, in the Industrial Age, yeah, the wealth-generating assets would be something like a mine or a factory. And so the barrier to exit was really high, which allowed for either governments through regulations and taxes or organized labor, such as unions, to exert a lot of force or violence or intimidation on the holders of that capital and extort from them. Well, now, because the barriers to exit are so low and because technology allows people to protect their their different assets and things and their thoughts and their ideas for such a low cost and because the cost to extort from them is so high, that return on investment has completely changed. Uh, for example, you can use free open source encryption software uh, to encrypt sensitive information. In order to use violence or force to get someone to reveal that information against their will, you have to spend thousands of dollars and uh, and hundreds of hours of a supercomputer's time in order to decrypt that, that message. And so that's an example where uh, you can have decentralized uh, transactions going on via the use of free encryption. And in order to penetrate that against the will of the people who are engaged in it, it costs a tremendous amount of time and money. And so it's the, what the Internet's done is it's completely shifted the balance of power in favor of the individual. And it's going to, in my opinion, completely uh, change the current power structures that are out there. And we're starting to see this happen. It's almost as if the current power structures are being dipped in acid and they're being dissolved all at once, all at the same time, all around in every area. Uh, if you look at if you look at the Internet, you've got millions of people blogging, and ideas can only be overcome by other ideas. And so the people who actually generate value in the economy, they're going to be increasingly able to hold on to that value. And it's people with better ideas that are going to be the ones generating the value. And so the people who've got bad ideas, like in most cases governments, for example, where they're, where they're trying to remove your privacy with, with these invasive pat-downs, well, you know, that's just a bad idea. What's the return on investment from that type of a security procedure. Is it really reducing the risk of threat? Is it really a way to wisely allocate capital? If it was a wise way to allocate capital, then why do they have to rely on violence or force to get the top line in order to provide those services? And so these are, these are some very important questions that I think we're starting to see about how the power structure is being changed. And just like during the Civil Rights Act and, and the Civil Rights Movement, you know, it wasn't the dogs and the fire hoses that caused the change uh, in the 60s. It was the boycotts. It was the economics. It's when the people refused to ride on the buses in Montgomery. That's when things started to change. 
And I think we're going to begin to see the same type of things happen. People are going to begin, and they already have begun, boycotting these ridiculously overpriced monopoly uh, institutions that are out there. For example, the airlines have estimated that the new TSA requirements have caused people to refuse to fly to the tune of $9.8 billion of lost revenue in 2009. Well, it is uh, promising that, you know, many of the airports have begun to question whether the TSA is actually worth having, and, and we're starting to see that. You know, Trace, I mean, ever since I've been younger, uh, I've always been very hesitant and resistant to give up my personal information just to any agency, to anyone who asked for it. And I, and I think it seems to be something that Americans have a deep inside. I remember, oh, it was probably 10 years ago, I went to a health club. I had joined up. I had paid the exorbitant fee to, to be there. And then just middle of the year, they changed the policy. As soon, instead of showing your card, flashing your card, you had to start doing a fingerprint scan. And I threw a fit, <laughs> and uh, I, was a, I was able to be opted out. But only about, according to the management, only 5% had actually said, look, I don't want to give you my fingerprint. That's what you do to criminals. And, of course, of the, uh, you know, the, the driver's licenses now in most states are now requiring that people give their fingerprints. Um, and, you know, in all reality, I mean, it's fairly simple to get those things. It's almost straining at a nap, but it's really the principle of it. And you're bringing up the Internet. It's a great point. You know, now we have WikiLeaks, who is also changing the entire thing about privacy, about, you know, what is actually, you know, considered confidential and what is not. Uh, do you fear, uh, again, the t referring back to the top of the power structure, do you fear that there is going to be some sort of clampdown because of WikiLeaks on the Internet, because I certainly do. I certainly think that there's going to be some sort of repercussions here because things like WikiLeaks, the cat's out of the bag. Of course, they're going to try to stop it. They won't be able to. But don't you think they're going to try to stop it in some way through Internet censorship? Well, yeah, of course they're going to try to stop it. But you see, what's happening is like this is bigger than anything that's happened in all of recorded human history. I mean, they tried to stop Copernicus and they tried to stop Galileo, but it didn't work. You know, ideas can only be overcome by other ideas. Uh, they tried to stop Martin Luther. It didn't work. So there, this is the same thing that they're running into in the information age. The current power structure, it, they don't add value to society. And their ability to extort the holders of capital in society and the people who actually generate the wealth, their ability to do that profitably is greatly decreasing because of these technological innovations. And, you know, just like with the Gutenberg Press, I mean, where do you think the copyright came from? It came because the king didn't want people printing stuff that wasn't approved. Well, the Gutenberg Press ran its course. You had John Locke, and you had Thomas Jefferson, and you had uh, you had all of these things flower out of it. You had new systems of morals and ways of acting uh, that that were advocated and and came about. And it, the same thing I think is going to have to happen with uh, the, this technological revolution that we're in the midst of. And it's only speeding up with the the rate of advance of technology. And so what that does is it really makes it uh, a lot, you know, I think, I think what we call political risk or sovereign risk is going to increase. And because these old monopolies, they're not really needed anymore in the information age. And when I say old monopolies, I'm referring to the nation state as an institution. 
it, it doesn't really add any value anymore, and it's actually become the greatest threat to people who are holders of capital. And just like we don't need newspapers, you know, we, that industry has been creatively destroyed by blogs and the Internet and things. So likewise, uh, I think the nation state as an institution is going to come under severe uh, economic threat and pressure. And we're already seeing it. Your book, Bankruptcy of a Nation, Europe's bankrupt, the entire world is bankrupt from the state municipal level to the federal level. And 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 the rise in the price of gold, I know we haven't got to run the gold yet, but the rise in the price of gold, it portends their failing business model. And so, you know, they're trying to hang on with everything that they have. And But because they have this negative return on investment from engaging in violence, the more violence they try to exert, the the more their balance sheet evaporates. Because look at what's happened to the brand equity of the United States of America just in the last 10 years. I mean, everybody looks at it. They don't wear the white hat anymore. Even Americans don't believe it. And the reason for this is that they've completely destroyed their brand equity. You know, they, they, they go over, they invade, they occupy a foreign land, they murder a bunch of people, they engage in genocide, and what happens? We give them a pension. I mean, this is ridiculous. State, the state is dead. It's dead morally, it's dead intellectually, and it's dead financially. And it's just a matter of of people, of holders of capital, realizing and understanding that and taking positions and making uh, the bets with their capital to protect themselves from these dying carcasses that are falling on the ground, and hopefully you don't get caught underneath one of them. My guest, by the way, is Trace Meyer. He's an entrepreneur and a journalist, a monetary scientist. He's an investor. He's also a columnist. You write a column for SeekingAlpha.com, right? Uh, yes, sir. Now, you co-wrote a book called How to Vanish, where you spend some time explaining how individuals can take back control, as you're talking about, reassert their fundamental right to the right of privacy. Share with our audience some of these uh, ways to fight back. What are some of the strategies that you talk about in this book? Uh, well, one of the main strategies we like to talk about is uh, do what you can to keep your home address private. Uh, we introduce a concept called ghost addresses, where you're able to uh, receive your mail or you're able to uh, use some address other than where you're physically at uh, to conduct the business that you need to uh, using the post system. Another uh, very simple strategy that we recommend is to use cash. And by using cash, you're able to, in effect, uh, stop the audit trail. And so in some cases, you might want to have the transactions appear in the digital record, you know, a debit card or a credit card. For example, if you uh, have an ordinary necessary business deduction, you'd want that to appear in the record because it's very easy to audit. But on the other hand, you might not want uh, other things to appear in the record. For example, you might have purchased an ice cream cone and you don't want that to appear in the record because the health company might decide to raise your health insurance premium. And so uh, that's another principle is, you know, end the audit trail when you can, uh, sever it. And that way it makes it a lot more difficult to trace lineage on assets or things of that nature. And then a third strategy that we like to recommend, it gets into your electronic privacy, and that's to use uh, what are called proxy servers or virtual private networks. And these uh, help anonymize your internet traffic. That way 
you uh, the people who own the websites or whatnot, they don't necessarily know who it is that's visiting them uh, based on their IP address. So those are three, uh, you know, pretty simple, easy strategies that people can implement. Well, Trace, if our audience would like to learn more about you and your work, tell them how they can do so. Uh, they can just head right over to howtovanish.com or over to runtogold.com, and there's hundreds of articles on all these different topics, and I'm sure that they'll find something uh, that adds value to their life. And in most cases, it's, uh, the articles are free. You know, they can purchase a book if they'd like to. Uh, and they're helpful also. <laughs> Trace, thanks so much for your time, and I uh, wish you the best of luck as we head into the new year. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.